Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Tonight on The Readout. Anybody who was involved in that corrupt, shady, shoddy election of 2020, lock them up. It is primary night in five states, highlighting lies like that one from Carrie Lake and other candidates who are trying to get their hands on the key offices overseeing voting. And make no mistake, democracy itself is on the ballot. Also on the ballot today, reproductive rights in Kansas. A referendum there would strip women of their right to choose unless enough people vote no. And we all know Speaker Nancy Pelosi is a badass. Well, she arrived in Taiwan today, even though China is furious about the trip. Plus, Trevor Reed, the former Marine who spent three years behind bars in Russia and is now speaking out for the release of Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan joins me right here tonight. But we begin with a huge night of primaries in some key battleground states. Voters in five states are casting their ballots, setting up critical showdowns for this November. And the stakes could not be higher. The choices voters make could very well determine whether or not this country remains a democracy. And that claim is not made hyperbolically. We all saw how our democracy was pushed to the brink in 2020, with the twice impeached former president continuing to push the big lie that the election he lost was rigged. Of course, it wasn't. And how he unleashed a violent mob on the Capitol in a Hail Mary attempt to remain in power after systematically going state by state to pressure lawmakers to bend to his will and change the election outcomes. Now, fortunately for the country, there were enough elected leaders in those states unwilling to bend the knee to Trump, including a handful of Republicans. But in the next presidential election, we might not be so lucky. That is because a group of MAGA fanatics spouting the big lie and willing to overturn their own state's election results are making a run for the very positions that kept our country intact. In fact, many have already won the Republican Party nominations to run for governor and secretary of state in states across this country, with more possibly on the way, including tonight. Arizona, which has a full slate of Trump-endorsed election deniers in position to see some wins when the polls close, including the leading Republican candidate for governor, Carrie Lake, who has gone all in on the big lie, even calling for the imprisonment of Arizona's top election official for her handling of the 2020 race and for the jailing of journalists over what she calls or what she claims are election lies. Now, Lake is taking a page out of Trump's playbook, claiming even before Election Day that there's fraud in the voting without providing any proof, because, of course. What fraud is there, Carrie? What fraud is there? This is serious. Here's what she discovered is nothing, ma'am. 
Okay, well, there is also state rep Mark Fincham vying for Arizona Secretary of State. Now, this is a person who once identified himself as a member of the Oath Keepers and was present outside the Capitol on January 6th. To this day, he is still pushing the state legislature to overturn the state certification of the 2020 presidential election. And Fincham is credited by January 6th rally organizer Ali Alexander as the singular force behind the Stop the Steal movement in Arizona. This is the person who wants to be put in charge of overseeing the state's elections. Of course, these are only a few examples of the extreme candidates who already are or will likely be on the ballot in November and who could actually find themselves in positions of power in 2024. Join me now, national political correspondent Steve Kornacki at the big board, as always on election nights, and Alex Wagner, host of the upcoming Alex Wagner Tonight, which premieres two weeks from this very night, August 16th at 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on MSNBC. Thank you both for being here. But I'm going to start with you, Steve. Give us the state of play uh, as we know it now. Yeah, well, Arizona, it'll be late tonight. It'll be about 11 o'clock Eastern when we start getting numbers there. Just by the way, the way things work in Arizona, it'll probably be within the first 10, 15 minutes of those polls closing that we get more than half the vote statewide. You get all, all one big batch there uh, in Arizona. So we won't know anything until late. But when we start to get some numbers, we might know a lot quick. So what are we seeing here in Arizona? Well, you mentioned there's the Senate race here. This is for the Republican nomination to take on Mark Kelly, the Democrat seeking re-election in Arizona this November. Blake Masters has led in the polls. Blake Masters is running with Donald Trump's endorsement. So then again, that gets to the question of will the complete Trump slate of Republican primary candidates in Arizona get through? Blake Masters is Trump's candidate for the United States Senate. As you mentioned, Carrie Lake is Trump's candidate for the Republican nomination for governor. She, too, has led in the polling, although there was a final Emerson poll in the last 72 hours that did suggest maybe a closer race here. So perhaps a bit of suspense at the end of this race here. Uh, Carrie Lake, though, the Trump-backed candidate for governor. Also, you just mentioned Mark Fincham, secretary of state. The possibility here is of all the swing states in the country, if these Trump-aligned, Trump-backed candidates win their primaries tonight in Arizona, Arizona will be fielding a slate of Republican candidates that is more in tune with Trump on the 2020 question than any other Republican Party in any other swing state in the country. And I think that raises an important question for November. And again, it has to do with Mark Kelly, the incumbent Democrat seeking reelection. Democrats need Kelly to win to hold on to the United States Senate, to really have a chance to hold on to the United States Senate. This is a crucial race for Democrats to win. Remember, it was a Biden state in 2020, Arizona, but the margin was three tenths of one point. And given where Biden stands in the polls right now, given how midterm elections usually play out, they usually favor the opposition party, work against the White House party. Kelly on paper is an extremely vulnerable incumbent. The question is, though, if Republicans nominate this Trump aligned slate top to bottom in Arizona, does that give the swing voters who might otherwise turn on an incumbent like Kelly in a year like 2022? Does that give them pause? And does that keep them from voting for Republicans? And does that give Kelly a chance in Arizona, a better chance in Arizona? And does that give Democrats a better chance of hanging on to the United States Senate? So it'll be really interesting to watch these Republican primaries play out uh, in Arizona tonight to see if that full Trump slate is indeed successful. Really quickly, Steve, just for a quick follow up, because, you know, Donald Trump is has been selecting candidates 
in these Republican primaries who I think most objective observers would say are probably the weaker choice um, for Republicans in places like Georgia and Pennsylvania, et cetera. In the state of Arizona, is there a sense of how Trumpy the electorate is? Because in some of these other swing states, the, 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 the chances of the Democrat prevailing are actually being increased by Donald Trump's picks becoming the nominees. Yeah, well, like I said, Arizona, the margin was three-tenths of one point for Joe Biden in 2020. So, yeah, it was a blue state in 2020. Yes, Biden was able to carry it, but three-tenths of one point, about 9,500 votes. It was under 10,000 votes. So it was comparable, I would say, in terms of just how close it was to Georgia. So you're not looking at a, a huge sort of surplus of Republican votes, you know, where it is not a deeply, deeply, you know, red state here. So this is a state that, you know, went Democratic by a whisker in, in 2020. Um, Republicans certainly under a normal, as I say, normal midterm conditions, sort of a generic Republican candidate, I think, might even be favored in Arizona. But there is a question by Biden's victory of can you push that electorate too far? And I think that we might be set up to have that test in November. Steve Kornacki, you're the best. Thank you very much. Really appreciate you. And Steve will be at the big board throughout the evening with results from today's primaries. We'll definitely be keeping up with that. Alex, I want to bring you in here because, you know, I, I think about Arizona. This is a state up until, you know, this was the Barry Goldwater state. That's how Republican the state was. This was John McCain's state. It had two Republican senators pretty much my whole lifetime. Uh, and I'm not that old, but I'm not that young. And now it has two Democratic senators, two, not one, but two. This is a state that swung from all the way from the Goldwater Republican all the way to being a blue state right now in terms of its, its representation in the United States Senate. So what do you make of this idea that the Republicans are still taking the knee and essentially nominating people who are so far in the Trump wing that they could actually make it bluer? I think that the term is schadenfreude, Joy, which is democratic <laughs> delight, right? But at the same time, I think we, it's important to step back for a second and look at this in the context of America, right? We're a two-party system. And if one of those parties is hopelessly broken, populated by, you know, people who are for, I'm not even kidding when I say this, gov people who are running for the governorship in Michigan who were former stars of vampire web TV series, played characters, were eaten by zombies, and are now front runners. Tudor Dixon is the person I'm speaking of in Michigan for the Republican Party. That's a problem for democracy, right? If you have a two-party system and one party doesn't work, that makes it very hard to get the business done. And when you look at the landscape of some of these people, I mean, the, the qualifications that they are promoting should be disqualifications. Carrie Lake, the woman that you're talking about in Arizona, this is a woman who for 22 years is a broadcaster at the local Fox News affiliate. I will say that again, the Fox News affiliate. She's seen as kind of a middle of the road broadcaster. Sometimes she donates to campaigns like Obama. And then in 2018, 2019, 2020, it all turns and she becomes becomes a QAnon conspiracist. Last year, she disavows the fourth estate. She walks away from the newsroom and she turns what could have been a liability among Republican voters, which is to say her work as a journalist, into an asset by virtue of the condemnation. It is a testament to the anti-democratic norms of the GOP that you can't get to the top of the ticket if you're a journalist unless you disavow the fourth estate. And I won't get into all the other candidates, but I mean, we're talking about people that 
that would never have had careers in politics are now the front runners for the Republican Party in important and key races in key states. Now, that could be good news for Democrats, but is it good news for democracy? Well, I mean, to that very point, and look, I used to work at a Fox affiliate. My first job in news business was at a Fox affiliate. You know, the Fox affiliates are not Fox News. And so, yeah, she was a pretty norm core journalist. As a matter of fact, let me play a little bit of it just to tee up. You, you teed it up for me perfectly. She wasn't in a vampire thing. But here is Carrie Lake interviewing President Obama. This is in 2016. That's not that long ago. Good to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Great to have you. I know you want to talk about your Supreme Court nominee. Yeah. And a lot of Arizonans, believe it or not, support the Senate Republicans. They say they should hold off on this, and it's a smart thing to do. How do you convince them otherwise? Well, uh, what I'd say to the people of Arizona is our democracy only works when people play by the rules. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Great to see you. To, the, to what extent, Alex, is some of this theater? I mean, you have gone out, you have interviewed like real Oath Keepers, people who are real three percenters, people who yeah. are really in the life. Somebody like Carrie Lake appears to be doing a theatrical pose that she thinks will get her into office. How much of this is theater and how much of it is real, do you think, among some of these Republican candidates? I mean, Joy, Carrie Lake has said as recently, I think, as last week that she's already seen some stealing going on in this election. If that's not <laughs> theater, then what is? Tudor Dixon in, in Michigan, this is someone who is a media personality on a, America's Voice News, who was starring in zombie and vampire films, who wants to replace diversity and inclusion counselors with armed guards in schools. I mean, again, are these serious candidates? And that makes Chris Kobach in, in, in Kansas, who wants to be the attorney general, someone who is tasked with finding election fraud in 2020 and came up with goose egg, it makes him look almost qualified, setting aside the fact that a federal judge ordered Chris Kobach to go to remedial law classes because his grasp of the law was so faint. That guy now wants to be the attorney general of the state of Kansas. I mean, yeah. Yes. To answer your question, I think a lot of this is theater, but it it is theater that is convincing a certain section of the American public. And it makes one wonder how, how, how has this poison coursed so effectively through the grand old party? No, indeed. I mean, Rusty Bowers, who, you know, you know, we we heard his torment during the January 6th committee hearings, initially said he would still vote for Donald Trump. He's now changed his mind and told Jonathan Carl that he wouldn't. But right even after all that he discussed in the hearings, he said he'd still vote for him. So there is a certain level of belief there. But I just want to point out to the audience, there is one of these in Maryland who is now the nominee for governor in the state of Maryland. States like Maryland could go in this direction. The guy's name is Cox. You now have in Arizona. I just want to get your comment on this, um, Alex. Arizona officials were warned. This is from the New York Times. Kelly Ward, who's the chairwoman of the Arizona Republican Party, the one who kicked Rusty Bowers out and said he's persona non grata in the party now, and Katie Kelly Townsend, a state senator, were both said to have expressed concerns to Trump's lawyers in December 2020 about participating in a pan plan to sign on to this fake elector scheme. Um, they feared that the actions could be seen as treason. They knew it was illegal. So you have people who, in their rational minds, understand that the things that they're doing are probably going to get them in legal trouble, but they're still doing them. I cannot understand that motivation. Well, it's like high school when someone's like, let's jump off the roof of the house into the swimming pool. And someone's like, 
couldn't we break our necks doing that? And then does it anyway, right? I mean, you kind of know that attitude because it's that of juveniles and people who don't think seriously about the consequences. I mean, truly don't think seriously or are willing to risk it all. And it sort of makes you wonder, what are the motivations here? I mean, the notion of civil service is a fallacy within the Republican Party. It seems like nothing more than a naked grasp for power. And, yeah. and their comfort with that should be disturbing to everybody. Absolutely. Um, this is so much fun. I could do this for an hour, but unfortunately I cannot. I have to let you go. I have to do a, uh, a commercial break with Alex Wagner. Uh, I'm so excited about your show. Uh, and two weeks from this very night, August 16th, we're going to be watching you, the premiere of Alex Wagner tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern right here on MSNBC. Girlfriend, I'm so excited to have Thank you, you back. Welcome Thank back. Thank you. I'm yes. so excited to be back. Thank you very much. Cheers. Have a great evening. Okay. And while you are, are waiting for tonight's results, do not miss my piece on MSNBC.com on why the 2022 midterms might be the most important elections of our lifetime. That is not hyperbole. Up next on the readout, the first test of abortion rights at the polls since the end of Roe. We'll be right back. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top-quality, personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM. There was a doctor by the name of George Tiller in Wichita, Kansas. He provided abortions there for more than three decades, one of the few doctors in the nation who performed abortions late in pregnancy for women with serious health conditions and those carrying fetuses with severe or lethal anomalies. Those who opposed abortions, including violent extremists, fixated on this doctor, protesting outside his house, his church, and his clinic. In 1986, that clinic was bombed. Anti-abortion violence is a current domestic terrorism threat that began in the early 1970s. We're talking vandalism, arson, bombing, along with threats of harassment and intimidation targeting doctors like Dr. Tiller. In 1993, an abortion opponent shot him in both arms. Tiller survived. But in 2009, Tiller was shot dead during worship services at his church in Wichita, where he was serving as an usher. Ten years after that horrific assassination, the Kansas Supreme Court ruled that the state constitution protects the right to an abortion. And in this very state, fraught with a history of anti-abortion extremism and terrorism, voters today are deciding whether to remove that protection, providing the first electoral test in America since the fall of Roe. The results of that referendum are expected in just a few hours. And joining me now is NBC News correspondent Dasha Burns in Overland Park, Kansas, and Minnie Tamaraju, president of NARAL Pro-Choice America. Thank you both for being here. And Dasha, I do want to start with you because I know that you have been talking with canvassers. And I just want to play a little bit of sound of that before I hit you with a question. Go ahead. Here it is. This particular vote 
is bothersome to me because of the way that the church has been used to sway people and mislead people. And I don't want the church to be used in that manner. I think all of my parishioners deserve to make the choices that are best for them, which means I'm ultimately a pro-choice person. And, and Laura Phillips is a reverend. <laughs> she is a pastor. And to her point, yeah. the, uh, in terms of the Kansas City Star reports that Kansas abortion ballot question, the Kansas abortion ballot question, $10 million. The fundraising has been about $10 million as this vote nears. And the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America organization spent $1.3 million. A lot of that money coming from the churches. Um, what are you seeing on the ground? What are you hearing from women as you talk with them? Well, Joy, we've been talking to canvassers, we've been talking to voters, we've been talking to providers, and you played uh, some of that video of Dr. Tiller. Well, we've actually visited that clinic where he used to work, and I'll tell you, the fear, the anxiety is very much real for abortion providers in the state about what comes next and about those types of threats. A lot of providers don't want to work in Kansas because of the history uh, that you just mentioned there. And right now, Kansas really is the epicenter of the battle on abortion rights in the nation. And in just a couple of hours here, opponents of the Value Them Both Amendment are going to be gathering here in this room to watch and to wait to learn the fate of abortion rights in this state. Enjoy. The stakes could not be higher because since the fall of Roe, many of these surrounding states have enacted all-out bans or significantly restricted abortion. So Kansas has had women coming from uh, Missouri, from Texas, from Arkansas, Oklahoma, seeking care here. Uh, the phones have been ringing nonstop at clinics, mostly from women outside of the state seeking uh, this procedure here. So people are very much uh, aware of that. And this value them both amendment, just again, to be clear about what this does, because there has been some confusion about the wording and about what a yes vote means, what a no vote means. This amendment would strip the protection for abortion rights from the Kansas state constitution. It would then put the power to make those decisions into the hands of the Republican supermajority in the state legislature here, which would then open the door to possible restrictions and potentially as many abortion rights advocates fear a ban on abortion. And I'm telling you, this has been the conversation in the state. It's impossible uh, to avoid signs, rallies, uh, even concerts held here. People are aware that the nation is watching because what happens here, Joy, not just how Kansans vote, but how many vote, right? is going to be a major bellwether for the midterms in November. And I'll tell you just anecdotally, today we were at a polling location earlier in Gardner, Kansas, where they tell me last time in 2018 in the primary, they had about 300 voters show up. They've already doubled that as of a couple of hours ago. So the engagement is real. What happens tonight, though, still, still to be seen, Joy. And I should know, thank you for that information. I should know that the Catholic Church, the Susan B. Anthony uh, Pro, Pro-Life America spent $1.3 million. The Catholic Church has spent $2.5 million. So there is a lot, as that previous reverend was saying, that Dasha interviewed, a lot of church funding going into this. And to that point about the confusion, uh, many Tom, Timuraju, there's been a misinformation campaign that's been taking place in this state. Uh, misses, misleading Kansas abortion texts have been linked to a Republican-aligned firm. The messages were sent using numbers leased from Alliance Forge, a Nevada-based firm that created and crafted by a PAC led by former Congressman Tim Hulskamp of Kansas. The text message says, 
Women in Kansas are losing their choice on reproductive rights. Voting yes on the amendment will give women a choice. Vote yes to protect women's health. The truth is, it's vote no. Voting no is what will... Pre- so it's a confusing wording, which is done a lot of times to trick people into voting for the opposite of what they want. What do you make of the fact that this Republican firm, led by a former Republican congressman from Kansas, is literally lying to people, sending out text messages to try to trick them into voting to throw their rights away? I think they're terrified. I think uh, we have to... The, the last minute surge of Catholic Church money into the state, they're looking at the same numbers that we're looking at. This is unprecedented enthusiasm for a Republican primary, really, frankly, just a Republican primary ballot in a midterm year. They put this initiative on this ballot expecting very little interest, very little turnout in Kansas. And now we're seeing a surge in enthusiasm, as Dosh is talking about, on the ground. You can't escape it. And we're seeing Republican women coming out and voting no, much like the woman you just interviewed, uh, the minister. You know, we've got volunteers on the ground right now knocking doors, and they're telling us stories about Republican households they're going to who are furious that this is on the ballot, furious that it's being sort of trying to sneak it under uh, through this ballot initiative in an August primary ballot. So I think what you're seeing is indication of how incredibly close this is in a situation where it frankly shouldn't have been close, right? Kansas is by all, by all means, like by all, by all analysis, a moderate state. Uh, but I think we're going to see a big repudiation tonight. I also want to mention we're seeing volunteers from other states. You mentioned patients coming from other states. We're seeing volunteers from places like uh, Arkansas coming into Kansas to tell their story at the doors about how bad abortion bans are in their states. And can I just show this map? Because here's the here's the issue. And Dasha did m- mention this, but I want to have a question for you, um, Ms. T- Timaraju. This is the state of play, the free states versus essentially states where women are state property. All those red states that you're seeing have the most restrictive abortions, meaning if you live in one of those states, this is how far you have to go to get to a free state where there are either less, uh, um, you know, restrictions like Florida or Nebraska or where you or it's where it's a fully free state, places like Colorado or you look how far you have to go. So that's one of the other issues, right, is that if this then becomes another essentially unfree state, it becomes a woman, a, a state property state, women will then have to jump states and have to go further and further away, right? Exactly. This map is critical to understanding why Kansas is so important to access of abortion for people throughout the Midwest and the South. Uh, I'm from Texas, where obviously access has been decimated, and you saw Oklahoma quickly follow. Kansas is really not just a political battleground right now because of this ballot initiative, but a fight for access. And that's why we're seeing volunteers and folks coming from neighboring states like Texas, like Oklahoma, like Arkansas, into Kansas to talk to voters this weekend. Let me let me play uh, uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland. Today, he did announce that the Department of Justice is going to file a lawsuit challenging Idaho's abortion law, arguing it violates federal law, which requires medical providers to offer emergency care that can include abortions. Take a look. It does not matter what state a hospital subject to Amtala operates in. If a patient comes into the emergency room with a medical emergency, jeopardizing the patient's life or health, the hospital must provide the treatment necessary to stabilize that patient. This includes abortion. 
Josh, I'm wondering, as you speak with women, not just canvassers, but actually voters, are people expressing concerns that a ban on abortion in the state of Kansas could mean that people with ectopic pregnancies, with other health concerns, could lose their lives? Or are you hearing concerns about a national ban? Because that has been talked about fairly openly by the uh, forced birth movement. Yeah, Joy, I mean, I am hearing all of those concerns across the board. And by the way, it's true, not just from Democrats, but from Republican women, from people of all religious backgrounds. This is not as red or white or uh, red or uh, blue or black or white an issue as it's often uh, painted, especially in Washington. There is a lot of concern, even from fairly conservative women, that a ban could encompass uh, no exceptions for rape or incest or for uh, the life of the mother those ectopic pregnancies, a lot of people have stories like that. Um, And so I'm hearing that concern across the board. And what happens is people have been watching these surrounding states go dark and worry that more and more of the country will head in that direction, Joy. Yeah, indeed. Whether whatever your politics are, red, blue, whatever, most women want to actually have ownership of their own bodies. Most women do not want to have Republican men sneak in bills under the radar to take ownership of your physical body. Most women do want to be free. Uh, Dasha Burns and narrow pro-choice America president, Minnie Timaraju. Thank you both. Still ahead. Speaker Nancy Pelosi defies Chinese threats to lead a congressional delegation to Taiwan. Some are calling it courageous. Others say it is reckless. We'll get into that and more next. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top-quality, personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM. Fresh off the big announcement that a United States drone strike killed al-Qaeda's leader Ayman al-Zawahiri over the weekend, there was another major development on the foreign policy front today. As House Speaker Nancy Pelosi arrived in Taiwan, defying warnings from China, which claims the self-governed island is its territory. Taiwan's tallest building was lit up to welcome the speaker, but China immediately condemned the visit. Moments after she landed, Chinese state-run media reported that China's military would conduct military training exercises and drills in areas surrounding Taiwan later this week. And the Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs called the speaker's visit a serious violation of the One China principle, threatening, quote, those who play with fire will perish by it. The speaker, a longtime critic of China, is the highest ranking American official to visit Taiwan in 25 years. Shortly after touching down, the Washington Post published an op-ed by Speaker Pelosi explaining her decision to visit the island. She wrote, 
We cannot stand by as the Chinese Communist Party proceeds to threaten Taiwan and democracy itself. Joining me now is David Rothkopf, columnist for The Daily Beast and USA Today and host of the Deep State Radio podcast. Mr. Rothkopf, it's always great to see you. So I want to show you a video. This is a video of Speaker Pelosi's 1991 trip to Tiananmen Square, which um, was tweeted out by her in 2019. And it shows her and two other lawmakers unfurling a banner honoring dissidents. So, so she's a longtime critic um, of the policies of the Chinese uh, government. But you have been critical of this trip. Explain why, because it does feel like it is a, a representation of standing up for democracy. I, th- I think it is a representation of that. And I think the speaker has a long track record of standing up for human rights uh, in China, 30 years, as you note. Um, and uh, she deserves a lot of credit for that. Uh, and of course, I, I don't think the United States should be intimidated uh, by the threats or the over the top rhetoric of the Chinese. Uh, the question is, why do this trip right now? There are a number of issues that are extremely sensitive involving the Chinese um, that the administration is trying to handle. For example, the administration is trying to work with the Chinese behind the scenes to keep them from providing weapons to the Russians in Ukraine. Uh, the administration is putting pressure on China in a number of areas with regard to human rights. The administration uh, has, in fact, uh, really doubled down on security in the region, uh, uh, having the first summit of the Quad, which involves Japan and India uh, and Australia, creating AUKUS, an agreement between the Australians, the UK and, and, and the US, uh, creating an economic agreement in the region. And the administration suggested that Speaker Pelosi not go right now. So I don't think it's a question of, is she doing the wrong thing or sending the wrong message? She's sending a good message. The question is whether she achieves anything uh, and the United States benefits from her doing the trip right now. And I think there's a lot of risk to it. Well, let me just note that uh, the NSC spokesman John Kirby said that President Biden respects the speaker's decision to travel to Taiwan. I'm going to leave it there. I'm going I'm to just throw that in there so that we know that. Um, I, you know, you did mention Ukraine. So I do want to talk just a little bit about this because China v. Taiwan definitely gives me some Russia v. Ukraine vibes um, in the sense that you have a, a, a big, powerful nuclear power that covets um, a country or a land that, that wants to be independent of it. And in the case of Ukraine, is independent of it. It's its own country. In the case of Taiwan, um, is is there a real threat that China would do what Russia is doing to Ukraine, to Taiwan? I think there's a threat that China would do it, not right away, not in the next couple of years, perhaps. Um, but I think the threat has grown uh, that at some point, the next three, four or five years, the Chinese might move in and try to um, uh, reclaim control over Taiwan. Uh, having said that, I think the the big question is how the U.S. and how the U.S.'s allies would respond to that. And I think the response might well look like Ukraine. I think your analogy is a good one, because I think the United States is committed, has since the beginning of the One China policy, to the idea of defending Taiwan, providing weapons to Taiwan, um, and helping to ensure that they can defend themselves without actually getting us into a superpower right. confrontation with the Chinese. Uh, the Chinese, by the way, are worried about this in another way. They're worried we're going to start providing new kinds of weapons to the Taiwanese that'll make them more secure. And I think that's one of the big issues we're going to have to deal with in the months ahead. 
Yeah, and just speaking of new weapons, so the, the, I want to switch over and talk about Afghanistan since I've got you here. We're just going to use take my full advantage of having you here. You know, there's been a lot of sort of storm and drawn on the Republican side, particularly from the war caucus, people who've never seen a war they didn't like, people like Lindsey Graham, you know, tweeting and mad that, you know, um, we left Afghanistan, that we took troops out of Afghanistan. And I know that you and I in, in, in the past on the show have agreed that it was a, a good idea after 20 years. It was about time. You've had some people on the other side, uh, like Adam Kinzinger, who's also served in the military as, as well as these two men did, who said, no, it's a good thing that we were able to take out Zawahiri without having a bunch of troops on the ground. Where do you fall a, along that line? Because there is, you know, the argument to me that Zawahiri's death somehow somehow proves that we shouldn't have left Afghanistan because Al Qaeda. I mean, because um, you know there's still Al Qaeda there. I don't see that they ever left. Uh, well, they didn't. The Haqqani network didn't leave. They were the ones where who had, were hosting Zawahiri. Um, but I think that uh, this attack and 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 getting Zawahiri is actually a vindication of the Biden administration's policy. A year ago, uh, President Biden said we are going to end uh, this uh, uh, 20-year war. We're going to withdraw our troops, but we've got the capability using intelligence, using over-the-horizon weapons technologies, using the full set of resources we've got to identify terror leaders and to eliminate them when we need to do it. And, uh, you know, not only did they do that in this case uh, successfully, they did it without any civilian casualties. Uh, It was a remarkable precision strike. It was a remarkable uh, triumph on the part of the U.S. intelligence community. But as somebody in the administration pointed out to me today, it also means that Osama bin Laden and Zawahiri both were taken out um, by discrete strikes and not by massive land wars. And, you know, $3 trillion into those 20-year wars, thousands of U.S. dead, hundreds of thousands of dead elsewhere in the region. I think maybe one of the messages we should take away from this is this is what we should have been doing all along. Amen. Trita Parsi uh, yesterday and Peter Beinart both said the age of the old land wars, it should be over at this point, at least led by the United States. I think this definitely vindicates that notion. David Rothkopf, uh, thank you very much. Always appreciate the chance to talk with you. Uh, and coming up next, the latest on American detainees, Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan, former U.S. Marine Trevor Reed, who was recently released from a Russian prison as part of a prisoner swap, joins me. Don't go anywhere. Back in a sec. Brittany Griner made her seventh appearance in a Moscow courtroom this morning. Lawyers for the wrongfully detained WNBA star reportedly called in an expert who testified that the state's examination of her vape cartridges was illegal. Griner will return to court on Thursday for closing arguments. One of her lawyers told Reuters the trial should be over, quote, very soon. It all comes as ongoing talks between the White House and the Kremlin continue on a potential prisoner swap. Last week, the U.S. offered to release imprisoned Russian arms dealer Victor Boot in exchange for Griner, as well as Paul Whelan, who's currently serving a 16-year sentence on alleged espionage charges. In response, the Russians said they also want the release of another Russian national, a convicted murderer, though the administration dismissed that counteroffer as, quote, bad faith. One person who's been actively calling on the government to negotiate this swap for months is Trevor Reed, who knows a thing or two about being a Russian hostage. He was held prisoner by the Kremlin for three years before being freed 
this past April. Joining me now is former U.S. Marine Trevor Reed. Uh, it is a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for doing this. I've been looking forward to talking with you. Um, and, and I want to just get right to one of the things that you said. You said this. This was a quote from you. There is no justice in Russia. Brittany and Paul will not receive justice in Russia. They're not going to receive a fair trial. They're not. They're, they will not receive a fair investigation. They will be there as hostages until the United States gets them out. You know that from experience. What do you make of the fact that this trial is being is ongoing with, you know, arguments being made and that they're proceeding as if it's a real trial? Yeah, so that uh, that's all a facade. So Russia tries very hard to have the appearance of having a legitimate legal system while also trying extremely hard to make sure that there is absolutely no reality of that uh, legal system actually working. So everything that uh, happens inside of uh, a courtroom in Russia is largely just theater. Um, it doesn't matter what kind of evidence you have. It doesn't matter what laws or procedures the the government has violated there. They uh, they're not going to materialize into into any type of of actual justice. And obviously, uh, the Kremlin saw you having a Marine as a hostage is pretty is for them a pretty big deal. Now they have a WNBA star. What kind of conditions were you held in? What kind of conditions would you assume that Brittany Griner is being held in? Uh, across the board in Russia, conditions are uh, are obviously terrible, um, especially for Americans. You you're kind of caught off guard by those by those types of conditions. So I mean, I was in uh, you know certain cells, certain prisons where the cell looked like something that you would see out of uh, out of a movie about you know a prison in the Middle Ages. So if you've ever seen uh, the movie Braveheart, um, there's a scene in there where he's in a, in a dungeon in the Middle Ages in England, and I lived in cells that looked exactly like that. Um, it's pretty shocking for, for anyone from the West or from a, a modern civilized country to, to see and especially to, to be forced to live in those conditions. And, and I know that you became very ill, that, you know, your situation remained very precarious until you were negotiated out uh, by the Biden administration with your family, really pushing them to do that. And, and I, I'm going to play this. I would normally not, not make you have to listen to this. I'm sorry to my audience as well. I want to listen, have you listen to the former president of the United States talking about Brittany Griner uh, and her detention. Take a look. She knew you don't go in there loaded up with drugs and she admitted it. I assume she admitted it without too much force because... It is what it is. And it certainly doesn't seem like a very good trade, does it? He's an absolute one of the worst in the world, and he's going to be given his freedom because a potentially spoiled person goes into Russia loaded up with drugs. It took a president to get you out. It's going to take a president to your what you've said. It's going to take a president to get Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan out. In your view, what might it do to Brittany Griner's situation to have the former president of the United States attack her publicly? Uh, you know, I'm obviously not qualified to, to really answer that. I'm not an expert. But, uh, you know, my my opinion on that is that this this deal is not just a, a swap for you know, Brittany Griner and Victor Booth. This also involves Paul Whelan, who is a United States Marine Corps veteran. He's a combat veteran. 
He's been in prison for three and a half years, and he is sitting there uh, in prison with charges that are completely fabricated, and he is innocent. So I think that that should also be considered, uh, you know, whenever you're talking about these types of, of, uh, of deals. And we know that there is a third American there. His name is Mark Fogel. He's been in a Russian prison for more than a year now. He's 61 years old, a teacher who lived and worked in Russia for nearly a decade. When you were there, was it ever communicated to you that your jailers saw you as a bargaining chip of some kind? Or did they communicate with you at all and at all? Uh. I mean, I did have communication with uh, guards and prison, prison officials there. Usually that was uh, involving <laughs> disciplinary action. Um, I was resisting there actively, the government, their, their laws there. I was refusing to work. So I was constantly involved in, you know, conversations with the prison administration there. But, uh, you know, those were not involving uh, larger, you know, geopolitical issues. They were more concerned with trying to, to force me to work. And, you know, I told them that that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, indeed. Well, that is that Marine training. Uh, Mar- to Trevor Reed, thank you very much. Really appreciate your time this evening. Thank you for being here. And we'll be right back. Thank you. We are just seconds away from the first polls closing on this primary night. We'll be closely watching Kansas, which has that referendum on the ballot regarding reproductive rights. Steve Kornacki will be at the big board throughout the night to break down the results in Kansas, as well as primary results in Missouri, Arizona, Michigan and Washington state. Do not go anywhere. You do not want to miss Steve. The khakis are on. He's ready to party. That is tonight's readout. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. 